also that the woman who got killed first was apparently Dante's girlfriend's name is Ruth. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was funny the subtitles that kept just popping her up as Dante's girlfriend. Yeah. I loved that so I much. Did too. I, yeah. She was never referred to by name, I don't think. Well, uh, that seems as good a place as any. Um, hey folks, and <laughs> welcome back to Return to the Telepodcast. Uh, this is uh, another special episode, and basically we, we, we wanted to talk about two kind of big-name horror reboots that have come out in, in the past year. Uh, so there's the new Hellraiser film, and then the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. Yep, yep there are. Texas Slaysaw Massacre. Yeah, it's back. It is. I mean, sort of. Um, I guess we'll get into that in more depth. Um, yeah, so essentially, we're going to do our best because these films are still pretty recent uh, to to kind of have a spoiler-free section, mm-hmm. and then we'll get into full spoiler detail, and we'll include all of the 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 timestamps for all of that in the in the episode description so if you haven't seen them yet and and still want to uh i guess we'll we'll give kind of our our brief thoughts or our our spoiler free thoughts on each one uh as well as getting into our more detailed thoughts yeah we shall be doing that cool so uh let's start with uh so the new texas chainsaw massacre 2022 Directed by David Blue Garcia. Mm-hmm. Kevin, what was you? What was your experience with it? You hadn't seen it before. I had not. I had not seen it before. Oh, uh, I mean, my experience with it was like I wasn't expecting a lot, honestly, because I'm I'm used to seeing like remakes. Obviously, I'm used to seeing remakes of horror movies that aren't particularly good. Um. I wouldn't say I was pleasantly surprised uh, from the new Texas Chainsaw movie, but I was like, I was mildly, mildly surprised, I guess. I expected it to be much more of a train wreck than it was. And it was like, it was a, it was a light, it was a light train wreck. It was like a bus wreck. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's fair. Yeah. I was not unpleasantly surprised. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, I actually watched this when it came out on Netflix originally back in, I don't know what it was. I think it was 2021, 2020, something like that. I, well, I think it was actually even this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah but it, yeah, back in, in February or March or, or whenever it did so come out. Ago. Yeah. Um, so just to briefly summarize, essentially the film follows a group of young... Gentrifiers. Gentrifiers, yeah. yeah. It's like they're kind of entrepreneurs slash maybe social media influencers. Yeah, colonizers, you can say that. Yeah, yeah, they're colonizers <laughs> who uh, come to a small town in Texas that's essentially fallen apart and been foreclosed upon by the banks, and they're buying it up to try and start uh, essentially a new community there. Mm-hmm. And little do they know, Leatherface is lurking. He is. He is lurking in the town. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, broadly, it's an interesting one because I I think that that starting premise I actually love. Yeah, I agree. I think it's yeah, it's it's clever. It feels very uh, modern, and I think you know it follows on something I think we talked about in our original Texas Chainsaw episode mm. that that Leatherface is very much reactive. That people yeah. invade his space and then 
uh, he goes buck wild. Right. And so I think it sets up this really interesting dynamic of, like, the local people in this town are problematic in a range of ways. Uh, the, like, gentrifiers coming in are problematic in a lot of ways. And so then you end up with this kind of interesting conflict that feels, I guess, very, very contemporary right. around Texas Chainsaw, which I like. No, I agree. I, I think that uh, having that sort of theme of, like, invaders coming into someone's uh, space uh, and then being attacked by the person that they're invading uh, stems really well from, like, what the original Texas Chainsaw was kind of about uh, and to, like, make it into more of a whole city that people are, like, coming into uh, and gentrifying. It feels like a, a natural continuation of it. Uh, I guess, like, my only... I, I like the idea of it a lot, but... I feel like, and it's kind of a somewhat minor concern, but I feel like if you're going to do that, like, it's it's weird to, like, sidestep or to, like, ignore or to, like, I don't know. I feel like it's going to bring questions of, like, colonialism in Texas itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it, it you're going into a community. You're essentially, like, you're colonizing it, but that community is already a colonizer community. Yeah, yeah, there's an interesting, I, I mean, maybe maybe space thematically to compare to the original kind of, right. um, uh, yeah, I guess the, the, the taking of, of, of Texas by the United States. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, overall, it's generally, I think it's it's a well-made film. I think it yeah. looks really good. Yeah, the cinematography is really, really good. Yeah, yeah, beautiful cinematography, a really great use of, like, light and color. There's mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, inside of the main kind of creepy house, we switch between these kind of yellows and blues and greens. And it's it, it manages to, I think, be maybe, like, surprisingly colorful for, for the setting. This kind of, like, dirt town in South Texas. It's like the, the Thor Ragnarok of uh, horror movies. Was it Thor Ragnarok? That was one that was really colorful. colorful. Honestly, I haven't seen any since the original Thor. I don't remember. I just remember one of them was really colorful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say... I guess maybe that's the upside. That it, that it has, like, I think a really interesting starting pitch and a really uh great visual style and mm -hmm. i think broadly the scares mostly are are, are fairly well put together yeah i um, agree there wasn't any unnecessary or like uh annoying jump scares i would say which was good yeah yeah and i think there's the other side of it maybe that i think the like thematically the film struggles and i think yeah after about the first half there's a moment where i think it just goes totally off the rails and mm. i don't think it's ever able to sort of pull itself back together again no, i agree i agree a lot there's definitely a moments where like i feel like the plot is trying to go towards um saying something but not really like expounding on it it's kind of like someone like yelling something happened but not really like doing anything about it or like saying anything about it that's significant it's just like reminding you hey this big issue happened and that's it yeah no i, I think that's fair and I, I think you know while we were watching it i was thinking about how 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 discreet the the original film was with its use of violence you mm -hmm. know that um i mean it's famously like has very little blood and gore right and i, I don't think that this film is necessarily gratuitous but i think it it actually does end up lacking something in that i think it goes for like a really high body count and a mm -hmm. lot of splatter 
and kind of like a big showdown sort of feel right. in a way that doesn't necessarily feel like it's uh, a continuation of the, of the original film. Or maybe I feel like it maybe like it lacks some of the the kinds of horror that made the original so strong. That's like that more creeping dread and um, letting suggestion fill things in. You know, there's there's no use of suggestion in this film. We see mm-hmm. absolutely everything. Yeah, everything is pretty much explained uh, away either like by visuals or like by someone literally like saying outright maybe this is right this is wrong whatever but yeah there's there's very little room for nuance there's very little room for um yeah nuance i guess would be the right word yeah i think it it starts with this great really interesting premise and then i would say like maybe after about the first act, it doesn't really end up delivering on that premise no. is sort of how I feel about it. Yeah. It, it brings up a lot of themes, but it doesn't really talk about them. Yeah. Overall, my feeling is kind of, if you are a fan of like the Texas Chainsaw kind of, I, I guess, franchise mm-hmm. in, in general or what have Multiverse. you. Multiverse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do think that it um, is a lot better than say like the early 2000s remake and yeah. uh prequel and generally i think it's decent i i think it can't hold a candle to the original obviously yeah but yeah i think if you compare it to the other like shitty sequels that exist it's, it's, it's all right yeah i'd agree it's it's a not good film but it's also not a terrible film in my opinion. Yeah. But is it better than Texas Chainsaw 2? I don't know. I was thinking about that. I think, like, Texas Chainsaw 2, I mean, does not feel like a natural continuation of the original film no. by, like, any stretch of the imagination. Mm. But it is still pretty fun. Like, when it's not being incredibly boring, yeah. it's a lot of fun. And this felt a little bit more... It was like, yeah, maybe more in line with the original, mm-hmm. but not... Maybe it's just not all that surprising. Yeah. It doesn't have a, a chili cook-off or chainsaw duels or, like, a nice, like, rocky scene at the end. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It feels like a pretty middle-of-the-road kind of take on the material, I guess. Yeah. That it's like, yeah, it's not, like, super similar to the original it's not horribly distinct from the original Mm -hmm. it's kind of in this mid zone of like yeah i guess it it's an interesting direction right but i i don't think it's pulled off super super well i i mean i guess if you like hate texas chainsaw 2 this might be closer to what you would have wanted from from a sequel yeah i could see that i like i i think in general i like texas chainsaw 2 just because it's more it's trying a lot more i would say Mm -hmm. it's trying to do a lot more with the material uh, than what the remake is. The remake is pretty much just a continuation uh, of the same like themes, of the same atmosphere, of the same um, feeling, I guess, as the original one. Uh, <laughs> let's fucking spoil this movie. Okay. So, okay, I mean, I right <laughs> off the bat, um, so Hall- Sally Hardesty appearing in this film, yeah. just, it feels weird, right? We, it does. We, she kind of, like, pops up a couple times and gets mentioned and then, you know, shows up for her huge, like, earth-shattering face-off with Leatherface and gets killed, like, Pretty really fast. Yeah. 
she's she's like kind of built up to be this like badass that's going to like kill Leatherface once and for all and she totally doesn't she just gets like fucking impaled and somehow survives that for like a good like what hour and then dies <laughs> yeah 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 i mean it, it reminded me a lot of the uh, 2018 halloween reboot where mm-hmm. we have um you know jamie lee curtis facing off with michael myers mm-hmm. But that film is largely a character piece about her and her daughter and her granddaughter and kind of like how how trauma has informed her life uh, after the original Halloween film and how that's kind of shaped her whole family. And in this case, right, we don't get any of Sally's personality. Like, not that she was like a super well-sketched character in the original. Right. But it's this weird thing that she feels kind of shoehorned in that we just kind of cut to her a couple times. Then she like kind of pops into the main Mm -hmm. plot and kind of gets killed without doing almost anything i mean like her whole character is like i'm out for revenge because like she like she she's very much that but like there is no like what's the word there's no uh nuance no not nuance follow through there's Hmm. no follow through on that like i'm expecting her to like actually go out and fucking annihilate leatherface and she very much just like lets him live in one scene uh when she very easily could have like killed him uh because apparently he she wanted uh him to remember her which like i i think i i think she knows by then that like leatherface is this um almost like childlike being who who doesn't really communicate first of all right so it's really fucking weird that she expects that yeah when i think that leads somewhat naturally into the next major point that I had, which mm-hmm. is that, like, so so there's this point, right, where the bus scene happens. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, all the horrible yuppies are, like, stuck together on the bus. Leatherface gets on. They all pull out their phones. I fucking hated that so much. Um, yeah, and it's just it's instantly, so I think, the film, like, collapses on itself, yeah. kind of. That I, I think suddenly it's like, it feels like a schlocky parody mm-hmm. of like youth culture rather than like a, a thoughtful kind of approach. And I, I think from that point on, it sort of becomes like a comedy of errors, yeah. right? So so Sally has a chance to just fucking uh, shotgun Leatherface in the Leatherface, right? The leather um, she has him at gunpoint. And then just kind of lets him go because reasons. Yeah. And we don't know enough about her character for that to really make sense. Um, really soon after that, uh, she gets just chainsawed. Melody crashes the van that they're trying to escape in. And then Lila uh, grabs like an assault rifle and is pointing it at Leatherface and then realizes that it's uh, unloaded. Yeah. And so it feels more like a comedy of errors at that mm-hmm. point where it's not people kind of like doing their best to survive and being undercut by, you know, Leatherface being this incredible force. It's just like everyone's kind of dumb in ways that like really hit in like the third act. And it starts to just be like, well, it, it just feels unsatisfying. It feels it closer to like the structure of a comedy happening in a horror film. And to be fair, like there are a lot of instances in the first and the second act where uh, characters are not being very smart in that like they're being chased by like this dude who's only who, he, his only weapons are like what close combat weapons so, like knives mm-hmm. or uh fucking chainsaw or whatever uh and they're surrounded by guns and none of them ever use a gun 
Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, there's like multiple times where like, uh, specifically when um, the mechanic guy. Oh, uh, Richter? Richter, yeah. Richter gets murdered um, and his gun is just there totally unfired. So we assume it has like a full clip and Melody just runs away without grabbing it. Yeah, it was a bad, bad decision on her part. Yeah, and I think maybe more broadly, there's kind of uh, like a character problem. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's sort of nobody is that likable. Right. On some level, you know, I think... So we have the the gentrifiers coming in, and they're so, like, nails on a chalkboard, kind of like youth culture. Right. They're very, like, neoliberal, sort of... Um, I would have voted for Obama a third term if I could. Yeah, sort yeah. Of deal. Yeah, yeah, they're very much... Uh, they feel kind of like a caricature of sort of neoliberal Gen Z, kind yeah. of. Um, and then, you know, the, the Texans on the other side, right, we get the sense that they have, like, their own, like, super problematic uh, shit going on. Mm-hmm. And it, so and I think, you know, the, the, the one character, Lila, um, you know, our final girl, I think we're supposed to... I think she's supposed to be the one that right. we really relate to and I, I guess like on a political level we're like okay she's not a gentrifier and she's not like a you know backwards asshole or whatever right but i don't think she's very likable or interesting she's not I, I feel like she's not likable just because she doesn't have any character yeah like her whole backstory is she is a survivor of school shooting and that's essentially it she has trauma over that um that's that's really it <laughs> Yeah, no, it it really is. And I, I think, you know, she spends the whole movie kind of being like, all right, I'm not going to move to this town. I right. don't want to do this. Let's leave. You know, and, and and on some level, I think as the audience, we're like, oh, you're the smart one. Right. <laughs> but I think that there's another side to it that like the only real personality that we get from her mm-hmm. is her saying no to things. Yeah, she's just uh, very much drawn as like a nervous, extremely cautious person. Uh, throughout which i think is um kind of a, a disservice to her character it's it's not very compelling no i think like like uh why because she I, I mean i guess maybe it's because she has no power but watching somebody right. who sort of like knows that all these things are bad and then kind of um but isn't able to do anything about it she's just maybe she just doesn't have a lot of agency in the no movie. she doesn't a lot of things happen to her uh she doesn't really do much until again the third act yeah yeah. What um what did you think of the the kind of school shooting angle? I thought uh, I feel like this movie had uh, had a lot of problems with like trying to be too timely or too topical and bringing up a lot of uh contentious like uh social issues uh and not really expanding on them very much. The school shooting example is is a big one, but also a uh, Confederate flag sort of thing. Uh, the scene that they had, uh, even the gentrifying, uh, as well, things like that. And I think, I really feel like by having that in there, like having a character who's traumatized due to, uh, being a survivor of a school shooting, but not really, I feel, discussing that enough. I mean, it's discussed very, very little. Like, it's kind of like showing that she has trauma over this. Uh, although it doesn't really expand on it very much. I feel like by doing that, it's kind of um, not ethical or not fair to like actual people who had to go through this. 
Like, it kind of feels like you're just using their story and their traumas to make a character to just, like, make a movie. Yeah, I think there's there's something that feels kind of cheap about it yeah. on, on some level. I was thinking about this while we were watching that horror has, like, an interesting relationship to guns. Mm-hmm. Um, that So, you know, we have this girl who's a survivor of school shooting, and there's a moment with Richter, the kind of, like, down-home country boy Texan um, mechanic, and there's this moment of of real humanity when he kind of realizes that she's been shot and that right. she's a survivor of a school shooting. And it's actually, I think, a surprisingly beautiful moment yeah. um, in, in, in the film. But by and large, it feels kind of weird to sort of have this school shooting, but then, like, the problems in the movie are largely solved by, like, shooting somebody with a gun. Like, yeah. there, there's, there's a, a, a disconnect where I feel like it's not actually it's not saying anything about violence it's just using that as a tool kind of and i feel like uh the fact that we're not supposed to sympathize with i guess like uh lila's side of characters uh and the fact that she's a victim of a a, of this sort of crime that happened uh, or of this sort of tragedy that happened it kind of makes it unclear what stance the movie's taking and that's Mm. with like every social issue that's brought up uh, it, it again just feels like it's the movie saying like school shootings happen, Confederate flags are a contentious issue, and not really taking a position. And one like, and if you can argue that it is taking a position, it's probably not the position that would uh, be correct historically. <laughs> like it almost feels like uh, the the movie's saying at times that like if you're the victim of a shooting you need to learn how to handle a gun instead. Yeah, and I, I imagine, like, I, I, it feels like there's, like, a lot of unintentional subtext. Yeah. Is, I, I think, what I, would, what I would say about the movie, that I think it, it wants to make... Uh, it wants to make us think about gentrification, and I think right. it wants to make us think about school shootings, but I think it doesn't know how to do anything beyond that, almost. Right. Right. No, and I, I I agree. I think a lot of the reason why it feels the the movie feels very directionless in terms of its um, stance on things is because it doesn't take a hard stance one way or the other, and like the only interpretations you can get are from very obvious like positions that aren't intended. I guess like unintentional, <laughs> like sort of a sort of this is what we meant, but not really. I don't know. I don't know how to call that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, like, really unintentional subtext yeah, is, unintentional is the subtext. big thing I would use for this film. Yeah. 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 Uh, or sort of it's it's the opening, maybe, like, the first act has a lot of subtext that's pretty much dropped yeah. by, like, the second act. And by the end of the film, it's just, like, kind of utterly forgotten. Right. What did... Um, I know we, we talked about this a little bit in our kind of spoiler-free section. Mm-hmm. But the the like level of violence in the film, how did that strike you? Or did did you uh, have a strong feeling in either direction? Like I felt like there was a lot, as you said, like more not exactly gratuitous violence because I don't feel like it was like very like blood and gore and guts all over the place. But there was definitely like more violence than the first movie. Um, I mean. Fucking Leatherface just chops down an entire bus full of gentrifiers. So, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like 
it it's kind of both cheap a little bit because it like takes away from like the actual story of the piece what it's trying to say and also um any nuance or subtlety i guess uh but at the same time like i don't i don't dislike it i don't dislike that the like leatherface mowed down a bunch of people because that's what leatherface does yeah no i i think that's really fair i think um I mean, you know, I'm I'm no no prude when it comes to, to, to horror films. Right. It was something I was thinking about just that I remember watching the the remake from the early two thousands and you know, right around the same time we had Rob Zombie's versions of Halloween and Halloween two and right. those are films to me that do feel gratuitous in their violence. Right. Uh, and I don't think it's necessarily that there's more violence in those films than there is in this one. Mm-hmm. But I I, I think Maybe maybe what it comes down to is that I think I mean the the, the bus scene in particular there is just so a bad. ton of splatter, yeah. and you know I on, on like a moral level I don't necessarily have an issue with like a film you know having really uh, intense violence in it or what have you, but I think maybe on like a storytelling perspective yeah. I think that it ends up it goes more for the like pretty like wild violence than it does for building suspense or for uh i'm thinking about the you know the third act of the original texas chainsaw where sally like wakes up at dinner Mm -hmm. and then is just being like taunted and tormented and it's just this like hysterical screaming kind of horror and and this film feels much more like it's just like all right people getting chased around with chainsaws and then like getting like butchered by chainsaws and i mean i feel like that's a fundamental problem with the film is that like there is very little suspense, and the suspense that is in the film is all from, like, hiding from Leatherface or being chased by Leatherface. It's not like, like you said, like, the dinner scene where Sally's just, like, wondering what the fuck is going to happen, like, as as, as all this is going down. I feel like the bus scene in particular doesn't really work super well story-wise is because we're kind of, like, taking the side of Leatherface. Yeah. As he's, like murdering all these people because like the people on the bus are like big fucking uh stereotypes of just like neoliberal gen zers who are being dumb and recording their murders through their phones so obviously like we're not supposed to like them yeah which means that we're supposed to like leatherface mowing them down i guess yeah yeah like it feels like it's going for like a moment of catharsis that would make more sense in a horror comedy yeah i think the moment that they pull out their phones and somebody even says something about like oh you do anything you're gonna get canceled yeah i fucking hated that so much yeah and it it just yeah it feels so horribly out of step with like what the movie has been up to that point Mm -hmm. but also it just feels like a different genre suddenly Yeah. yeah um and yeah i think like that scene just just doesn't really work for me no no the movie has a a big tone issue uh and it's mostly in the scenes like those the the bus scene being the biggest biggest standout yeah any uh any last thoughts on the new texas chainsaw it's 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 decent i think i like told you that before that like if 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 you took out all of the gratuitous like pandering uh, to fucking boomers and stuff like that out of the film, which you should, obviously, uh, you end up with a script that's, like, only only kind of broken. A script that's definitely salvageable. 
I, I feel like if if you took the script uh, and just like muddled around with it for a little while, you'd come out with a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's it, it, it has a lot of promise to it that yeah. it doesn't fully deliver on, I think. Yeah. Well, let's move on then to uh, our second film. Yes. Hellraiser 2022. Yes, Heckraiser. Heckraiser, yes. Heckraiser. Directed by David Bruckner. So we watched this a couple nights ago, mm-hmm. and I guess what I would say from just the very beginning is like, it is really hard to remember what happened in it. Okay. Yeah. Very. Very forgettable film, honestly. Yeah. So, um, I guess before we get too crazy, uh, I'll just briefly summarize. Uh, essentially, we're following... Um, Viewers, he's looking at his notes because he doesn't remember the characters' names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're following um, a recovering addict named Riley, who is living with her brother Matt and Matt's boyfriend uh, and another roommate. And her boyfriend, Trevor, takes her to a place where they find a cube. The cube. And Cenobites are awakened, and there's also a crazy millionaire, billionaire guy, yeah. hedonist, involved. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that, that's, that, uh, that's about it. Yeah. After that, it's pretty much a, what would you call it, not a slasher. Yeah, I guess it would be a slasher almost. Kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hellraiser is interesting because I think it has some of the. It has similarities to a slasher, mm-hmm. but doesn't necessarily follow the same like slasher structure. Yeah, I guess it'd be more like a, and then there were one sort of thing, where it's just like everyone gets like knocked off, one by one. Yeah, yeah. It definitely does kind of like whittle the character list down. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. To, to start, like, the big thing that I would say about this film is it doesn't feel like a reboot. No. And it, it, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, I guess, like, anytime you, like, rename, like, a film or a video game or something, uh, when you have a new entry come out with the same name as the original, I think we sort of naturally assume that this is, like, okay, they're rebooting it, that this is going to be kind of a new start. And, I mean, I think you could watch it without knowing anything about Hellraiser and you could get through it fine. Mm-hmm. But it really just feels like another Hellraiser sequel. It doesn't feel like it's trying to kind of recapture like the heart of the original or anything. It just feels like a you know a Hellraiser sequel that came out in twenty twenty two. I feel like if you watched like this Hellraiser without knowing anything about Hellraiser, you wouldn't get the whole uh, psychosexual sort of elements of uh, the original one and its sequels, which I feel like is an integral part of Hellraiser. Yeah. Like, for a movie that's, like, about these hedonistic, uh, other-dimensional demon-alien things, uh, and this hedonistic rich guy that summons them, there is very little hedonism in the movie. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, the Cenobites don't even wear bondage leather anymore. They don't. They just look like weird, like, alien goth kids, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, and more alien than goth, I would say. I think the, so the new Texas Chainsaw, I think does feel like it's trying to recapture the original in in some ways yeah definitely and this 
doesn't feel like it's trying to recapture the original, mm -hmm. but it also doesn't feel like it's trying to do something wildly new. No. You know, we we go through the same kind of basic plot beats um, as the the first two Hellraiser of, you know, somebody gets the box, they kind of realize that bad stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. There's the kind of theme of, of, of human sacrifice on some level. And then the kind of like facing off with the Cenobites. It, it has the same, I'm realizing this now, it has pretty much the same premise as the ring in that like there's this like artifact. Oh, people keep like using and it kills them and then there's a standoff at the end and what have you interesting yeah yeah so i think the possibly the thing that i think is maybe maybe the the, the central critique that i have that that would kind of inform everything else is that i think the design of the cenobites in the new film feels incredibly unimaginative yeah i agree yeah they're just really bland which is, like, weird to say, because, like, the the costuming and the um, makeup on them is perfectly fine. They look good. It's just that they don't look like Cenobites. They look like uh, weird aliens I would see in a Star Wars or Star Trek movie. Yeah, when I, I think, you know, it. it uh, I mean, on some level, like, when you take Cenobites out of their, like, black bondage leather, it's mm -hmm. like, well, wait, what are they now? Right. But I, I think, too, like, um, so instead of Pinhead, we have Lady Pinhead, who yeah. otherwise is just exactly the same. Literally just Pinhead, yeah. And then we have uh, another kind of uh, thrussy sort of lady. She has, like, three thrussies now. Yeah, yeah. Um, thrussy being throat pussy for yes. those who haven't heard our previous Hellraiser episode. For the innocent apart. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we have kind of a chatterer mm -hmm. replacement. Uh, no Butterball. No Butterball. He was replaced by a weird exoskeleton dude who, like, shows up, what, twice? Yeah, yeah. And I think just just broadly, they're not particularly interesting no. or surprising or even really shocking if you've seen any of the previous Hellraiser mm -hmm. movies. And I think that's sort of how I feel about the film as a whole. It's just, like, if you've seen a Hellraiser movie... It's nothing particularly new or exciting or interesting or different. I feel like both the designs of the Cenobites in the original Hellraiser uh, and the little, like, lines and, uh, that, like, they had actually, like, did enough to characterize them so they all felt like, dis like, discrete individuals. Yeah. Uh, whereas in, like, the remake, like, there's, like, maybe a slight difference between, like, Pinhead and Weird Thrusty Lady but they all kind of feel like the same thing. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, there's nothing I really have to add to that. Right. <laughs> they're, they're not really distinct from each other. Not really, no. Really, I mean, honestly, I don't have much to say about it. It, it, it was, it, it felt very much like a Hulu original, which, I mean, yeah, it is, it is a, a Hulu, Hulu original. original. <laughs> yeah. It's the first Hulu original film I've ever seen. Yeah, well, it, it had that kind of made for streaming of it's like, fairly mid budget mm -hmm. overall the film is fairly mid yeah um, yeah i feel like it has it, it, it has the same issue as uh texas chainsaw uh the remake in that the protagonists aren't likable yeah at least in this case riley isn't likable very much uh especially initially uh because she's kind of kind of a fuck up but you don't feel sorry for her because she's also kind of an idiot yeah, well, and she's sort of just, like, um, 
the way she interacts with everyone around her mm. is really grating yeah for a lot of the film you know like she's not it's hard to be sympathetic to her when she's just an asshole all the time yeah Folks, we uh, moved into spoilers kind of unexpectedly here. Uh, so just a heads up, from here on out, we're going to be spoiling uh, everything. I mean, it's hard to be sympathetic to her when she has, like, many, like, she has multiple opportunities to get rid of the box. She could have given it to fucking, I forgot that old lady's name, uh, who offered to, like, take it. And then she's like, no, I need the box for reasons. Yeah. To save my brother, apparently, but I don't even end up saving my brother at the end, so whatever. <coughs> Spoilers. What? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that, like, she, like, I think they capture the ways that, like, caring about an addict is really difficult, mm-hmm. but she herself is just really aggravating. Yeah. And I think, you know, something we discussed is, like, would it be helpful to have a sense of, like, her personal history more, of kind of how she ended up falling into addiction if that might give us more of a i don't know maybe more compassion for her because she's just kind of exhausting to watch i think i think it might help i think that like connecting the idea of like i think what they were trying to do is like connecting uh drug addiction to this hedonism that the cenobites were supposed to have uh connecting those ideas together the problem is that like they don't really do that really well yeah. Both because there's, like, not a lot of hedonism in the film, uh, and also because um, the drug addiction uh, subplot is mostly dropped after the first act of the film. Like, it comes up, like, once, I think, when uh, Riley's handling the painkillers. Uh, but besides mm-hmm. that, it's just like, okay, you're just, a, you're just a regular lady. Yeah, and I think without her addiction, there's not enough personality to really, like, hold up a character. No, not really, no. Yeah, and I, I think the other the other characters aren't particularly interesting either. Not really. Everyone is, they're, they're fairly generic. Uh, again, just kind of like Gen Z, or Pretty like much. maybe Millennial. And and there's there's just not a whole lot to them. I mean, Nora has zero lines until, like, Besides the fact that she's like, hi, I'm the roommate. <laughs> yeah. She has zero lines until, like, she gets attacked. Yeah, yeah, the 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 British roommate who just, like, is only there to be, like, a yeah. warm body to be murdered. And is inexplicably British, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it has a problem of no one being particularly likable or right. interesting right. or even all that distinct from each other. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of pretty quickly, I think, fall into just watching them fuck up and being irritated because like mm-hmm. the, the mistakes that they made aren't or the mistakes that they make aren't rooted in their own kind of internal failings as people. Right. It's just that they're kind of dumb yeah. and like go down dark hallways where you obviously should not go. Right. Right. No, I agree. And even like uh, Roland as the main antagonist is a very generic like. I'm a rich guy who's also a sadist sort of deal. He's not really deep or interesting. I mean, I like that they like had this like weird deal with uh, the devil sort of thing with him. But besides that, he's he's kind of generic. Yeah, yeah, he's he's interesting. Because I mean, I think the like 
hedonist billionaire playboy kind yeah. of is like a character tailor-made for hellraiser or right. maybe hellraiser is tailor-made for that character kind right. of but he yeah he he's also just kind of generic yeah there's nothing really new or interesting about him he has orgies at his house what billionaire hedonist playboy doesn't like yeah what i i think that it also ends up sort of so so this film goes a lot more into i guess kind of the lore around mm-hmm. hellraiser than uh definitely more than the original film yeah. did it has the rhombus the fucking whatever his name actually is leviathan leviathan yeah, yeah. yeah. and they didn't change him he's still just a fucking shape yeah well yeah it's funny based on our pitches before you know that like um one of the big things we talked about was just that like having a giant rhombus in the sky Mm -hmm. is a really bland sort of like i don't know uh satan character or whatever whatever leviathan is it's not imposing yeah i'm not like am i supposed to be scared of this shape and if so why (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and it, 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 it really, I mean, it does not hit in Hellraiser 2, no. and it really doesn't hit here either. No, not at all. It just feels weird that, like, this thing's being summoned, and it's never really, like, explained, okay, if this thing's summoned, then what? Like, what are the stakes necessarily of that? Yeah, you know, and there's the whole kind of thing of the, the, the puzzle box having these different configurations, mm-hmm. so like the lament configuration, and then uh, which I think is what just the puzzle box itself is called in, in earlier Hellraiser films. Right. Uh, but, it, but it ends up being kind of, I don't, to me, honestly, like it, it felt like the, the lore didn't really add anything no, not really. and kind of took up space where something more interesting could be going on. Yeah. Um, so when we, we near the end have the flip kind of that our uh, hedonist billionaire guy is actually trying to kind of undercut the Cenobites, it just feels a little overcomplicated to me. It does. I, I still don't really completely understand the different configurations and what they're supposed to necessarily mean. Because, like, they only ever talk about, what, the power one and the lament one. Yeah. And that's it. And even then, they don't really go all that in-depth into it. The lament one's literally just like, nah, I'm cool. Like, my hand's clean of this. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I think that there's some, like, weird decisions. So, like, near the end, um, it's revealed that the the boyfriend, uh, I think Trevor is his name? Yeah, Trevor. Yeah, Riley's boyfriend, Trevor, was actually in league with the uh, evil billionaire all along. Mm-hmm. And uh, she stabs him with the rhombus. Yeah. And it just, it's a moment where there's a Cenobite standing, like, three feet away from her. And she could just stab the Cenobite. And we know that, yeah. you know, the, the lament configuration or the, the, the puzzle box works on them, too. But she just stabs him instead. And it feels a little bit, like... It feels weird. Yeah. It also feels weird because, like, it, from, like, that point, it feels like it's almost setting up a, a short redemption arc for him. Because, mm-hmm. like, he's a jerk throughout the entire movie until, like, way at the end. Where he's, like, actually kind of helping Riley out. Uh, and then she just kills him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a moment that I think if all of the characterization were stronger, mm-hmm. could really hit. But it, it, it doesn't, because it, she essentially has this, like, evil demon that is one of the things to blame for everything. And then her shitty boyfriend, who's to blame for some amount of the things happening. Right. And, like, he's the one that she stabs. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It's real weird. It's a very. I feel like it's trying to be a sort of a midsummer th- sort of thing, girl boss moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I wanted to talk about the visuals of the film. Like, I know we already talked about the kind of the look of the Cenobites. Right. But just in general, I think it, it repeats one of the issues that I have with the first two Hellraiser movies. Mm-hmm. That I think they're going for visuals that are beyond the budget they really have. Yeah. And so in in this case, right, you end up with some CGI. Like, we see the labyrinth thing from Hellraiser 2 kind of up here and it just doesn't look all that good no, it actually looks better in hellraiser 2 yeah yeah <laughs> and, and there's uh you know the cenobites kind of a wall will open up for them to come out and mm-hmm. uh, some of those just look they just look very kind of plasticky made for a streaming service yeah. cgi i mean even when uh leviathan's like coming down through the window like i it, it, i feel like it's supposed to be imposing because of like how big it is but the fact that it's, like, surrounded by, like, fog and clouds is, like, okay, you, you had a computer render this that did not have a lot of power. Like, it makes, yeah. it's kind of obvious. Yeah. Well, and, like, the sense of scale just feels kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, like, Leviathan never actually looks that enormous, no. I think. No, he really doesn't. Yeah. And yeah, it just in general, like, the, the character designs for the Cenobites, yeah, like, they're... They're pretty kind of uninspired. They broadly look pretty decent. Mm-hmm. They don't feel as fleshy to me no. as I feel like they should be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, props to them for, you know, doing things with practical effects, right? It looked like practical effects yeah. to me, at least. Yeah. But I feel like they missed out the sort of like, okay, now we have to drizzle them all with like KY jelly or something, you know? <laughs> they're, they're just not very drippy. No, they're not. Like... In the original Hellraiser, they obviously look like very sexual beings just looking at them. Like, you don't have to, like, say anything about them. Or they don't have to say anything or do anything. You just immediately know they're into, like, some really kicky shit. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at the designs of them for the remake, you just think they're, like, weird, creepy, demonic aliens. And that's it. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, the, the film has, you know, it, it begins, we see a brief clip of an orgy early on. Mm were introduced to Riley and Trevor when they're boning down. Yeah. But, yeah, they're, like, brief sex scenes. But the movie, again, I think similar to Hellraiser 2, feels fairly sexless. Yeah. Uh, or there's the, 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 like, kind of erotic undercurrent doesn't really continue throughout the film. It's just a couple moments where you're like, and that's some boobs. And then right. we go back to just kind of... Yeah, our weird, sort of very sexless-looking aliens. I mean, there's a moment when, when like, um, oh, God, what's Riley's brother's name? Matt, I think? Yeah, Matt. Yeah, there's a moment where, like, Matt and Colin are, like, cuddling in their bed, and they're reading poetry. Yeah. And I'm like, why? (laughs) It's weird. It's a weird decision to make. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think it, it just... It's like sort of like uh, we can show straight people literally fucking intensely, but we can't do that with gay people. Yeah, yeah, no, it very much does. <laughs> they feel have like to that, be reading yeah. Lord Byron. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all around. I think a movie that like wants to deal with the flesh. Uh, you know, I, I mean, in 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 my pitch for for Hellraiser. I thought like an addict made a lot of sense, and mm-hmm. I, it was it was cool actually seeing that that was what they actually did in this film, right? Yeah. 
But but there's not you know the the way that we see her addiction is essentially just her popping pills occasionally, pretty much. Uh, which I feel like is like the least fleshy way to do drugs. You know, I'm not that like we need somebody shooting up on camera necessarily, but I I, I do think that the the actual kind of bodily experience of both taking drugs and the bodily experience of addiction could have been visualized much more. Yeah, I agree. And uh, again, the connection to hedonism and that bodily experience. Uh, could have been made much clearer. Yeah. I just really feel like Riley's being hedonistic uh, by taking drugs. It kind of more more feel feels like she's avoiding responsibility by doing that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that might be the point where like having slightly more of a sense of her as a character right. would would maybe help. But yeah, I think just broadly, it just doesn't feel like that physical of, no. of a film you know it's very um, the the moments of cgi feel like very not weighty you know mm. there's a point where we go in like inside of somebody's neck to see like a needle piercing through it it's real weird and it just looks i mean it just looks like cgi right yeah. it, uh, it takes all of the like because I mean, it's a pretty harrowing moment of yeah. a needle going entirely through a woman's neck but but by cutting inside of the throat we instantly lose like the weight and the physicality of that and it's just like oh that's okay that is a throat and yeah and i feel like the movie kind of does that over and over yeah. that like it has these moments that are concerned with with physicality in the body but like not all that much mm. and then a lot of moments that feel very kind of weightless and very like heavy cgi for a film that does not have the budget behind it to to do the kind of cgi is shooting for right i feel like it has almost the opposite problem of not really the opposite problem of uh, Texas Chainsaw in that it's not gratuitous enough. Yeah. It feels very uh, light on the gratuity, very light on the bodiliness, very light on the sex. I want, if I'm watching an R-rated Hellraiser movie, which I think is all of them, <laughs> uh, yeah, I want an R-rated Hellraiser movie. Yeah, one. Well, I think that it's a genuine difference, right? That like the original Texas Chainsaw worked in part because it was so um, discreet with its use of violence. Right. Um, but that's not true of the original Hellraiser, right? Like no. the original Hellraiser is super gratuitous and yeah. was designed to be more and had to be cut back. Mm-hmm. And and I yeah, I think this film is just. I mean, it's like a solid R, but like it's it's not pushing in the way that the original no. film did. No, because like the whole point of uh hellraiser the cenobites is that they're reaching for this like extreme amount of like pleasure gratuity like out there as much as you can so it makes sense for there to be like scenes of like people literally getting their blood sucked out and like exploding bodies things like that orgies whatever whatever um that doesn't wouldn't really make sense in like texas chainsaw or something like that uh, so it feels weird to, like, cut most of that out uh, in the remake. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, it, it feels very content to not really try and push the series forward. Right. Something that I kept thinking about um, while we were watching was, like, why modernize the film? Mm-hmm. In Texas Chainsaw and the new one, they're by modernizing it, they're able to deal with a new set of themes, and they're dealing with a much older Leatherface, and it basically it feels like it's somewhat central to the narrative that right. it's happening now. With this film, I mean, I imagine it would be more expensive to make a period piece, yeah. 
but I kind of kept wondering, like, why why are we watch why is this set in in the present day mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know how to feel about that necessarily i feel like you can set it in the present day i just don't feel like it would be adding really anything where would you ideally where would where would you want to set hellraiser do you think so i'm not sure okay i i think there's something maybe in part it's just that like the all of the settings of the film feel very uh, yeah i mean very modern Mm -hmm. um there's not the sense of kind of gothic decay that we have Mm -hmm. in the original and that that might be what i'm picking up on that just there's a lot of kind of clean surfaces and Mm -hmm. um straight lines and and so so visually the film doesn't feel like it has that kind of uh, yeah, I guess the, the gothic undertone that I really like in the original. So here's a pitch. Okay. What if we have Hellraiser? It takes place in 1920s Alabama. Ooh. It's got like nice like southern gothic sort of like religious undertones in that. I mean, I think that would be so much more interesting. Yeah. I uh, I know that at least one of the Hellraiser sequels I I'm pretty sure takes place in like the 19th century or something, mm. which I think actually is less interesting in that case. Right. Um. But yeah, I I think that like the so so I guess I feel like you know they, they had a chance to reboot the series for for new audiences and they've told a story that you know you can appreciate i think you'd probably appreciate it pretty fully without having seen yeah the previous hellraiser films uh, or at least without having seen the original yeah but they didn't do anything particularly new with it no and i think that that yeah i mean the like 1920s in the deep south would open up like a much more interesting kind of way to experience the film um, I think setting it in the 80s again could be potentially interesting. Um, yep. So, brother, where art thou? But kinkier. But with Pinhead. <laughs> with Pinhead. Oh, Pinhead, where art thou? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not sure what to do with it. I think there's something that rubs me the wrong way about seeing Hellraiser set in 2022, mm-hmm. but I couldn't tell you why. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I didn't really have a much of a problem with it. Uh, but it did feel, like, timeless when I feel like it should have been more timely. Yeah. And I think that's because the original uh, Hellraiser was very timely to the 80s. Uh, it kind of makes sense to make the a newer one timely to, like, the 2020s. Yeah. And it doesn't really feel that way. Yeah. Cool. Uh, any last thoughts on Hellraiser 2022? Uh, significantly worse than uh, Texas Chainsaw. Actually a train wreck. Yeah, well, it's interesting because it's one of the most, like, mediocre films I think I've seen in a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I didn't feel like it was actively bad, but nothing about it was particularly exciting or fresh or... There wasn't anything interesting about it. Yeah. The characters weren't interesting. Uh, Riley herself was extremely unlikable. Well, not extremely unlikable. She was unlikable. Uh... Cenobites felt very unsexed. The whole film felt very unsexed. It was very much a bland film. Yeah. No strong emotions about it at all, which is worse than, I guess, hating something. It's less fun, for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, so then, as our 
final kind of little piece of this episode, I have a couple questions for you, Kevin. Yes, that's my answer, by the way. Oh, well, uh, it's going to be the wrong answer. <laughs> oh, boy. Of the Cenobites. Yes. Who would you do? Who would I do? Yeah. Uh, who would I do? Chatterbox. Oh. Because, like, that mouth. Yeah. A lot you can do with that mouth. Yeah. That's totally fair. I... Something tells me that, like, Butterball would be, like, a really good cuddler. I don't think Butterball would cuddle. I don't, don't think, think any so. of the Cenobites would cuddle. Oh, no, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. Question number two. Yes. Which Kardashian is each Cenobite? So, obviously, Pinhead is uh, Kim. Obviously. Because they're both the leader and they've both got the juiciest ass. Oh, baby. Uh... I think uh, Thrussy would be Chloe, uh, because they're both trying to really steal the limelight, and no one is really interested in them that much. Mm-hmm. Um, Courtney would be Butterball, almost, because she's just kind of there. Yeah, yeah. She really doesn't have much character. Um, and Chris Jenner would be uh, Chatterbox, because Chris Jenner. I feel like that should be obvious. Yeah, no, that one of all of them is so perfectly clear in my brain. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Final question. Yes. Between Leatherface and Pinhead, mm-hmm. which one would you rather fist fight? I thought you were going to say fist. Which one would you rather, rather fist? fist. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to fist someone, it would be Leatherface because I feel it would be much easier. <laughs> Would I rather fist fight? I feel like still Leatherface. Or not Leatherface. I feel like still uh, Pinhead. Yeah. Because he's not shown fighting. He's shown controlling these like weird chain themajigs. And assuming he doesn't have that, assuming this is a fair fisticuffs sort of situation, Mm -hmm. I feel like I could take him. I feel like I could like punch him right in the pin. Right in the pinhead, if you will. Oh, oh, I will. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think I would go the same way. I yeah. feel like Leatherface just seems like he could, like, one hand... You know how, like, somebody can, like, palm yeah. a basketball? I feel like he could just, like, lift you off the ground and just, like, oh, that's game over. He could do a... You've seen Game of Thrones, right? Oh, yeah. He could do a whole, uh, the mountain to over in Tyrell sort yeah. of, uh, crush your head. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. Cool. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll be back soon with more of our regular episodes. It's over in March on that Tyrell. I haven't seen Game of Thrones forever. Well, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, bye, folks. Bye. Return to the Telepodcast is a production of Silent Machine Studios, featuring music by My Silent Machine. If you enjoyed this episode, like, subscribe, do whatever else you usually do with podcasts, I don't know. Thank you for listening.